We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. Okay, welcome. Um, So we are continuing with our Kings series. We're up to episode three. So just a quick recap. With episode one, we were looking at how do we get from Genesis all the way to Kings. And you see right at the beginning of creation, God had this grand plan where man and God would dwell together in unity, that man would be given authority by God to be part of the ongoing creation process and the ruling that God intended for all of earth. Now, obviously, remember that man fell. Man chose not to rule on God's behalf. They tried to effectively do a, uh, a coup to take power for themselves, and that led to the corruption of mankind. God then picked an individual and chose to work with that individual, Abraham and his family, that became the children of Israel. And it's just failed again and again. And we get to this point now where we're now moving into these kings looking to establish a kingdom that would be a representation of how God wants to relate to people. And again and again, we see in the story of kings, the children of Israel and the kings do not live up to what they're called for. And um, so in the last chapter of kings, we were looking at, um, well, the last episode of this series, we were looking at chapter one, where you had the you saw that David was coming towards the end of his life. One of his sons, Adonijah, put himself forward to be king. And then you had this power struggle of, okay, who's going to be king? Is it going to be Adonijah or is it going to be Solomon? And we see the process of David then being able to um, call forward Solomon and anoint him as king. So we then come over to uh, the episode that we're up to, episode 3, And I feel that pictures a bit of an apt description of the bloodbath that is about to happen in chapter 2. So, uh, John T. is my glamorous assistant today. He will do the reading because I struggle to read words. So, John T.'s going to do it for me. One Kings, chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. So David's kind of like he's on his deathbed. He's given his final instructions. And it's an interesting term he starts off with there. He says, be strong act like a man. Now, what does that, what that means for us today, a phrase like that, I don't think is what the Bible means when he talks about it. It's not about being macho. 
This is about standing up for what we believe is the right thing to do. So there's a lot within our society now that would kind of react to a phrase like stand like a man because, well, is it a patriarchal society? Well, back then it was. Is the Bible still standing by that? Well, it's more nuanced than that when we get to what the Bible talks about because it doesn't believe in blurring the lines between male and female, that God created male and God created female for a purpose to come together. And sometimes what we see in this world is almost pitching one gender against the other as if there's, there's a constant battle. But that's not what God intended. That's the result of the fall. But for, for generations, for centuries, we have benefited. We are existing today because men and women have been able to work together. If there wasn't collaboration, we wouldn't be here. And so the call of God is for us to work together in partnership. That's what he decided. So when he's saying about act like a man, that's just as relevant for women amongst us as it is by men when it comes to stand for the things that you believe are the right things. So here's a question for you to consider today. Is there something, is there an area in your life where you need to stand up for what you believe is right? That term strong can be translated as valiant, to conquer, to have courage, to be consistent, to grow firm. That's relevant for all of us. Then David goes on to list a few things here. He says, observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience, keep his decrees and commands, his laws and his regulations. What you see in this is that observe, look what God has already set out. So this isn't a blank canvas. God has already decided how we should live, what is right before him. We don't get to decide that for ourselves. We don't do based on what we feel is right or some ideas that we have. We come to what he has already decided And so David's instruction to Solomon is, learn what God wants and do it. Again, that's quite different to our culture that says, if it feels good, do it. One of the things that we've got now that Solomon didn't have in those days was the work of the Holy Spirit to enable us to know what God wants, because it's our spirit that testifies with his spirit that we are children of God. It's, our, it's the spirit working within us that reminds us of all the things that Jesus taught us. The spirit of God enables us to know what God wants because the promise was always that the law would be written on our hearts and not on a, on a stone tablet anymore for us to follow. Not only does the Holy Spirit help us know the law, it helps us live by the way that God wants us to live. Those things, when we come to the end of ourselves, the end of our ability, the the Holy Spirit gives us a strength and produces in us the the characteristics that God would want us to have. To walk in his way is to act on it. It's not enough just to know it. 
There's a decision to live by it. When we've been talking recently about the ministering of the Holy Spirit, we've been talking about shortening the lag between when I know what God is saying and when I do it. And we're believing that the Holy Spirit is going to speed up that time between, all right, this is what God's asked me to do, I just get on and do it. And actually, we saw it with David's last episode, that as soon as he realized, oh, I need to now get on to anoint Solomon, he did it, all while the feast was still going on that Adonijah had set up. You also get something in this speech from David here, which is the if phrase. (coughs) If you do what is right before God, he will do this. We don't like conditions like that. We we like, well, God's just going to bless us and give us everything, whether or not we, we follow him or not. Maybe that was an old covenant, that was an Old Testament thing, that kind of condition, the if factor. Well, I see it threading through into the new covenant as well. Give and it will be given to you. There's a condition. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Knock and the door will be answered. And if you see the parable of the talents, the idea is if you're faithful with few, you will be given more. So there is a condition that God actually requires us to live in a certain way. It's not, well, don't worry, there's there's no effort required on your behalf. No, there is effort. There is things that God calls us to do and ways that he calls us to live. But by his grace and the work of his Holy Spirit, we can live to that to a completely different degree. Jonty, next passage, please. Now, you yourself know what Joab, son of Zariah, did to me, what he did to the two commanders of Israel's armies, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. He killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime as if in battle. And with that blood, he stained the belt around his waist and the sandals on his feet. Deal with him according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to the grave in peace, but show kindness to the sons of Bazali of Gilead, and let them be among those who eat at your table. They stood by me when I fled from your brother Absalom. And remember, you have with you Shimei, son of Jerah, the Benjamite from Berehim, who called down bitter curses on me the day I went to Menahayim. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword. But now do not consider him innocent, You are a man of wisdom. You will know what to do to him. Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. Okay. Do you notice a shift in the speech here? Let's let's do what God wants. um, Walk in his ways. Live according to his ways. Now, it's like a mafia don giving a hit list to his son. It's just, whoa. That's... That shifted quick there. And he lists a number of people. Joab, we know about. Sons of that guy. Shimei. Now, I didn't do Shimei when we did our list of people at the beginning. So when David fled Absalom, this was back in uh, 2 Samuel. Um, So Absalom was his son that that wanted to commit a coup. Um, Shimei was a guy that 
followed David along the road while he was fleeing, just cursing him and throwing rocks at him. And so some of David's men were saying, let me just, let me just take off his head. It won't take a second. Let me take off his head. And David said, no, this guy could be being used by God to challenge me and humble me. I don't know what changed. Something's changed. But um, it's like those, those classic comedy things of, I couldn't kill you. I couldn't kill my friend. Could you kill my friend for me, please? It's, it's, a, it's a strange thing. So jo, his instructions, Joab, down. These guys up. That guy down. Okay, so he's suddenly given these, these instructions here. When you think in the history of kings when it comes to securing their throne, isn't this common that you have to take out your opposition? Whenever a new king comes, it's like, quick, take out all of those that would claim access to the throne, those that made me look weak or could threaten me, just take them out. Isn't that common when you look through history? So... Why is it bothering us? Because the idea was Israel were meant to be the model of how we could live differently, trusting that God secures us and supports us and brings about what he wants. Just because it's accounted in the Bible does not mean it's approved of. Then David rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. He had reigned 40 years over Israel, seven in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of his father David and his rule was firmly established. So, first of all, David rested. I love the fact that's how the scripture leads us to talk about death. We rest because death has been defeated by Jesus on the cross. We live in the good of that. We don't have to fear death. As you heard this illustration when um, this pastor was, uh, whose wife had died, he was trying to explain to his children why we don't have to fear death. And they were walking along um, and they came up to a crossroad and this Laurie went past uh, at some speed, and he had to hold his daughter so she didn't step out in the road. And the, the shadow of the, the truck passed over. And he said to his daughter, it was better to be hit by the shadow than by the truck. And she said, yes. Well, that's what we can celebrate. Mummy has been hit by the shadow of the truck because the actual truck hit Jesus. And so now we don't have to fear death that we rest, but while we're absent from the body, we're present with Christ. The other thing that stands out to me is, right at this point, it says, his rule was firmly established. Now, he hasn't taken anyone out at this point. But what we're going to see is a whole lot of political assassinations. So here's the question that it left me with. Is there an area in your life where you're tempted 
to give God a helping hand. Where there's something that God has already established that you want to just, just make sure. If you remember the story of Abraham and Sarah, they were promised that they would have a child miraculously. But they decided to give God a helping hand because it wasn't happening in the way or the speed that they were thinking. It did not work out well for them. Is there something in your life that you're just monitoring quite closely that if God doesn't live up to what you want, you're going to step in and do what, do what you think needs to be done? It might be when it comes to money. Yeah, I'm not sure if I can be generous at this time when God wants me to be generous. I've just got to make sure I've got enough. I've just got to hold what I need, just in case. But you remember when I talked back in May about being a child of God. If I know that he's my father, he's my protector, and he's my provider, which means that I don't have to hold, I don't have to manipulate, I don't have to beg, borrow, or steal, because I know that he's got me covered. John T. Now, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, went to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. Bathsheba said to him, do you come peacefully? He answered, yes, peacefully. Then he added, I have something to say to you. You may say it, she replied. As you know, he said, the kingdom was mine. All Israel looked to me as their king, but things changed, and the kingdom has gone to my brother, for it has come to him from the Lord. Now I have one request to make of you. Do not refuse me. You may make it, she said. So he continued, please ask Sol King Solomon. He will not refuse you to give me Abishag, the Shunammite, as my wife. Very well, Bathsheba said. I will speak to the king for you. When Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah, the king stood up to meet her, bowed down before her, and sat on his throne. He had a throne brought for the king's mother, and she sat down at his right hand. I have one small request to make of you, she said. Do not refuse me. The king replied, make it, my mother. I will not refuse you. So she said, let Abishag, the Shunammite, be given in marriage to your brother Adonijah. King Solomon answered his mother, why do you request Abishag, the Shunammite, for Adonijah? You might as well request the kingdom for him. After all, he is my older brother. Yes, for him and for Abiathar, the priest, and Joab, the son of Zeruah. Okay, so the story's moved on now. So now we've got Adonijah, who had put himself forward as the king. Then when David anointed Solomon, um, he realized, okay, my, my party has been ruined now. And then he came to beg for his life. And Solomon said, okay, I'm going to show you mercy, but I'm going to be watching you. And so we now see this situation where Adonijah comes to appeal to Solomon's mother, Bathsheba. And he describes what he wants. Look, the kingdom was mine, but then now it's gone to your son, quite rightly. But all I'm asking for is the hand of Abishag. Now, that was the, the woman, if you remember, the young virgin that was 
enlisted, recruited to come and be David's human hot water bottle in the beginning of, of Kings. Now, I think Bathsheba didn't really spot what was going on because she kind of, oh, isn't that lovely? He loves her. And, man, he's had a pretty tough time. And to be honest, my future's secured. My son's future's secured. I don't see any threat here. When she relays the story and the request to Solomon, Solomon thinks he knows what he's up to. This is a bargaining chip that Adonijah wants. Now, if you remember back in 2 Samuel, when Absalom tried to take the throne from David, he slept with one of David's concubine on the rooftop uh, in front of all of Israel, which was a sign to say, what was the king's is now mine, therefore the kingdom is now mine. There was a, a, it was a symbol. And so Solomon sees... Him asking for the woman that has been in my father's bed is like him trying to usurp me, undermine my kingdom. So Solomon's like, eh, eh, I'm not having that. There's a very, both of them hear the same request, Solomon and Bathsheba, but they hear it very differently. And so I was thinking about the whole kind of discernment, which is an ability to tell between what is right and wrong. Bathsheba was not discerning. She didn't even twig when Adonijah said, the kingdom was mine. At what point was the kingdom his? Whoever said the kingdom was his, he put himself forward to take it. He was never officially recognized. He was never anointed. But why did she not hear that phrase and think, that's not signs of repentance. Repentance is thinking differently. If he was thinking differently, he would realize it was never his in the first place. It wasn't something that was taken away from him. It was something that he tried to snatch. Even the contradiction, it's now, it is, God gave it to Solomon, but it was mine. Not even seeing the contradiction in that. So I think Bathsheba's let a guard down. She's then emotionally manipulated, she's vulnerable to being used or tricked in this situation, being used by the enemy. When are you most vulnerable? When are you more likely to be led by your emotions? Are you likely to say harsh words to others when you're angry? you end up speaking something over someone which isn't God's truth. Maybe if someone's come up to you and been really nice to you, it's very difficult then to bring a harsh truth to that person. Please ask, because he won't refuse you. That's, that's manipulative. When we want to get the mind of Christ, which the Bible says we can have together, it's about each person being able to bring their insights. If I'm going to you saying, don't refuse me, here's my request, I'm not inviting you to bring the insight that God might be giving through you. You, are, you just need to rubber stamp my plans. 
Have you ever found yourself in that situation? All I need for you is to approve what I want to do. All I need for you is to agree with my perspective. That's a dangerous position to be because we alienate, we cut off the mind of God that comes through other people. Would you like to be more discerning? Would you like to be able to see, ah, you say this, but I think there's something else that's going on here. And that's not just, oh, someone's come with a devious mindset. Sometimes someone can tell you something, and you think, no, I think God's got more for you. I want you to have more. You're asking for this, and God wants to give you this. I want to be able to bring that in any situation. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if Adonijah does not pay with his life for this request. And now, as surely as the Lord lives, he who has established me securely on the throne of my father David and has founded a dynasty for me as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon gave orders to Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, and he struck down Adonijah, and he died. To Abiathar the priest, the king said, go back to your fields in Ananoth. You deserve to die, but I will, not be put, I will not put you to death now, because you carried the ark of the sovereign Lord before my father David and shared all my father's hardships. So Solomon removed Abiathar from the priesthood of the Lord, fulfilling the word the Lord had spoken at Shiloh in the house of Eli. Okay, right, so, now the bloodbath. So, Adonijah, we saw him in the first chapter when he grabbed hold of the horns of the altar. That was his appeal to Solomon, please don't kill me, I, I messed this up. Solomon said, all right, you go back to your house, I'm watching you, and he makes this request, He's dead. Benaniah kills him. Right. Next guy. Abiathar. Can anyone tell me who Abiathar is? It's a high priest. Which side did he pick? Chapter 1. So he went, on, he went on Adonijah's side. Okay, so he had been a high priest serving under David, but then he decided to join um, Adonijah. And so he gets fired, and he gets sent away, no longer allowed to serve in the presence of God. And it said it fulfilled the word that was, that was over him. So um, back in the beginning of Samuel, we see the Samuel being given to, uh, to serve the high priest called Eli. And Eli did not keep his sons in check and they made a huge mess of stuff. And actually, the first time we see God speak to Samuel, it's with a word over Elijah. And he said, your sons will not always be able to serve in my presence. And so this was the fulfillment of that many, many years later. Now, interestingly, the same phrase that um, where it says... 
Solomon removed Abiathar from the priesthood is the same phrase used in Genesis 3.24 when it talks about God driving mankind from the garden. So both were serving in the presence of God. In both cases, they reached up and grabbed something for themselves that was not God's will. In both cases, they then lost their chance to be serving in the presence of God. I never want to be in a situation where I'm taking for myself that means that I lose my chance to serve and be part of what God's got for me. Okay. Janty. When the news reached Joab, who had conspired with Adonijah, though not with Absalom, he fled to the tent of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar. King Solomon was told that Joab had fled to the tent of the Lord and was beside the altar. Then Solomon ordered Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, go strike him down. So Benaiah entered the tent of the Lord and said to Joab, the king says, come out. But he answered, no, I will die here. Benaiah reported to the king, this is how Joab answered me. Then the king commanded Benaiah, do as he says, strike him down and bury him. And so clear me and my whole family of the guilt of the innocent blood that Joab shed. The Lord will repay him for the blood he shed. Because without my father David knowing it, he attacked two men and killed them with the sword, both of them. Abner, son of Ner, commander of Israel's army, and Amasa, son of Jether, commander of Judah's army, were better men and more upright than he. May the guilt of their blood rest on the head of Joab and his descendants forever. But on David and his descendants, his house and his throne, may there be the Lord's peace forever. So Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, went up and struck down Joab and killed him, and he was buried at his home out in the country. The king put Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, over the army in Joab's position and replaced Abiathar with Zadok the priest. Okay, so those are the first two that are gone. Joab, remember Joab? He was a very colorful character. So he served as one of David's mighty men. He was the general of David's army, but he was pretty ruthless. If anyone threatened him or if he had uh, unresolved issues with them, he often killed them in cold blood. And so this is the picture showing how he killed one of the guys that um, David was seeking to draw into um, to unify the kingdom. So we get this really dramatic scene. I mean, try and, try and imagine this in a kind of Hollywood blockbuster. So you've got this guy realizing, uh-uh, he's now after me. Body bags are being filled right now. I need to get to somewhere safe. Now, he runs to the altar. Where did he get that idea from? Well, didn't it work for Adonijah in the first chapter? He went and grabbed a hold of the horns of the altar, and he seemed to survive from it. It doesn't work for Joab. And what's quite interesting, if you go back into Exodus 21.12, this is one of the, the rules that came through uh, from God to Moses. It says, anyone who strikes a person with a fatal blow is to be put to death. However, if it is not done intentionally, but God lets it happen, they are to, f um, to flee to a place I would designate. So this is the idea of safe cities that God designed. 
But if anyone schemes and kills someone deliberately, that person is to be taken from my altar and put to death. They're to be taken from the altar to be put to death. So if you think, if you hang on to the altar, I don't know how long he was thinking he was going to stay there, but as long as he's hanging on to that, he shouldn't have been put to death. It's almost like when you're playing um, it, and it's like, oh, that's, that's safe. I'm touching what's safe, you can't get me. Or I'm tying my shoelaces, you can't get me. That was what Joab was pretty, in a pretty desperate situation. And you see the dialogue then between Benaniah and Solomon. So Benaniah said, he's, he's hanging on to the altar. Solomon's reaction, kill him there then. Do you see what David had said to Solomon right at the start? Learn the laws of God. Learn what God requires and walk in that. Stops me doing what I need to do. Stab him where he is. And so he was put to death right there. I wonder what other options Solomon might have had. wonder what we become ruthless about, where what God wants becomes lower down the priority order. I'm discovering we are a church full of gym goers, which is fantastic. I, I went to a gym once. I think I was lost, but um, could we be pursuing that kind of Bathing suit body. Well, not, not so much myself. I don't look so good in a bathing suit. But are we pursuing something at times which becomes a higher priority to what God is asking of us? Or maybe when it comes to our careers. No, no, it, I, I've, got, I've got to do this, otherwise I won't be able to secure the next two things that I need after that. What becomes more important than what God wants? Family, yes, can be sometimes. Right, last passage here, John T. Then the king sent for Shimei and said to him, build yourself a house in Jerusalem and live there, but do not go anywhere else. The day you leave and cross the Kidron Valley, you will be sure you will die. Your blood will be on your own head. Shimei answered the king, what you say is good. Your servant will do as my lord the king has said. And Shimei stayed in Jerusalem for a long time. But three years later, two of Shimei's slaves ran off to Achish, son of Makkah, king of Gath. And Shimei was told, your slaves are in Gath. At this, he saddled his donkey and went to Achish at Gath in search of his slaves. So Shimei went away and brought the slaves back from Gath. When Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had returned... The king summoned Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you, on the day you leave to go anywhere else, you can be sure you will die? At that time you said to me, What you say is good, I will obey. Why then did you not keep your oath to the Lord and obey the command I gave you? The king also said to Shimei, You know in your heart all the wrong you did to my father David. Now the Lord will repay you for, the, for your wrongdoing. But King Solomon will be blessed, and, King, and David's throne will remain secure before the Lord forever. 
Then the king gave the order to Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck Shimei down, and he died. The kingdom was now established in Solomon's hands. Okay. So, Shimei, dead. So you look at a chapter like this, and you think, my goodness, so much bloodshed, so much elimination. Dave Simmons asked me a, a question last week, and I do welcome questions. I've had none yet, um, apart from, from David's. He said, all of this kind of history and culture, how much of that really applies to us today? Because we're not going around killing people like that when they get in our way. How does it apply to us today? And so, just as I thought about it, I thought, yeah, we do, not with a sword, but do we not live in a cancel culture now where the onus is on us to eliminate, to purge from our social media or from our relationships anyone that does not help establish our profile or our position? We live in a world where the, the daggers are out all the time. There's not, a, there's not a week goes by when someone does not have their head on the block and people calling for their blood to be spilt. Within this cancel culture that we're in, there's a complete absence of forgiveness. When is someone's penalty served? What is restoration for these people that have fallen, that have made mistakes? What does mercy look like? What does repentance look like? We don't have answers to those questions within cancel culture. We just have bloodshed and elimination. But we're called to be children of light in a dark and corrupted generation. How do we make sure, unlike Israel that became more similar to the nations around it, we actually stick out like a sore thumb? Because we have known mercy. We have known forgiveness. We have known restoration. We have known the grace of God to live differently. Man, I am so glad I grew up after social media. The idea that every tweet is there forever. I don't know what you would be able to find on me today. And for our young people today, and even those that are involved in social media, that thought of one day, one of my careless words or tweets or messages could be pulled up, and I could be pulled over the coals for it in a society that has no concept of forgiveness, of love, of compassion. But this is the world that Jesus came into to show something different. And he now sends each of you into to show something different. To stand by, to love, to care. Doesn't mean that we approve of, but we still accept the person. We love that person into the freedom that Christ has brought for them. What a different message we have. What a different 
topic we can bring into any conversation. I'm thankful to be part of the ministry of reconciliation, to bring people back into relationship with God and not consign them to a living hell for the rest of their days. So that's the end of episode three. Where next time we're going to start on with chapter uh, episode four, we're going to start chapter three. It's pretty dense. I think it's going to take us a couple of sessions just to get, get through chapter three. Then some of the other chapters we'll race through pretty quick because they're pretty, pretty technical. Um, if you have any questions, please email them to me. Um, we're going to be recording a podcast very shortly um, responding to, to questions. Uh, Daniel. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at Lifeline UK. Thank you.